So we'll go ahead and get started. Um, for those of you that are visiting with us, it's glad to have you, and um, hopefully, I uh, hopefully I do okay with this. This is if you don't realize, I'm filling in. Jack is uh, I'm not sure where he's at. Uh, Manford. Manford. So he is uh, he is uh, teaching and or preaching, I guess, down there. So he asked me to fill in on this. No, um, we just gave him back. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but uh, we. Um, uh, like I said, we are uh, we are going to be going through uh, the next of the kind of trifecta of examples uh, that take place in Genesis. Uh, we've done uh, with Garden of Eden. We've talked about the um, uh, the flood and the the, uh, the events right prior, right just prior to that, and then in Genesis six, and then we're going to talk about uh, Genesis eleven, which is the uh, the city of Babel and the tower. Um, that were there, and uh, kind of go through that. So I, I encourage you to, uh, I encourage you to speak <laughs> uh, during this class, so um, we can uh, make sure and kind of fill in. We are. This is going to be the last class before uh, Jack is going to take us into the uh, where God is going to change directions and uh, in the the plan uh, from a worldview into a very specific. Point, uh, dealing with a specific nation, in this case, Abraham, you need one of those. Yes, I do, I do. Thank you. Um, uh, so, um, so anyways, uh, I, I'm going to do my best uh, to, to try to fill in as best I can. Obviously, uh, a lot of stuff going on in my house this last week, so I didn't get to prepare as much as I would normally like to, um, but I, hopefully I can uh, kind of move this forward on this. So, uh, I am going to be following the same notes you have in front of you, so... Um, I, I will hopefully I can fill in uh, some bits and pieces there. Uh, we are going to start out in Genesis 11. Uh, if you want to uh, turn there, and uh, we are going to be looking at some other verses, but I think most of those are I put in or in the notes. Um, so, uh, so and again, the last lesson, the last thing we talked about were in Genesis 6, talking about evil spiritual forces. Uh, in this case, where they, uh, and more specifically, talking about uh, the Nephilim, uh, but uh, this was a uh, moving forward with a uh, the divine council uh, from uh, Psalm 82, and uh, the uh, the the look at a much larger uh, divine idea uh, that is out there, as opposed to just uh, what we we often kind of look at the, the the normally accepted or normally looked at. Uh, idea of the divine world and kind of looking at something much bigger, uh, looking at uh, the fall in Genesis 3 and then uh, with the uh, seemingly odd interjection of, uh, again, the uh, the Nephilim there in Genesis 6 going into the, the flood. And so these were the first two kind of pinpoint landmarks of scripture that where uh, it, there is a, a worldview going on. So what, we, what we're talking about here, and just as a quick reminder as to where we've been, is that God has basically given one command up to this point, for the most part, and that is to fill the earth and subdue it. He says that twice uh, in scripture up to this point. And, uh, and that is, was the original plan. That was the idea. Uh, you have a, a Garden of Eden, you have a perfect place, a, a place that had that everything was good. Everything was working the way it was supposed to work. And that ended almost immediately. And so then God is going to have to continue this attempt to uh, follow that plan, to follow that, that idea. And 
the evil that is corrupting the world has, it just continues to fight back against that. Uh, and, and the idea here is that this isn't just mankind, but there is also a lot of other evil entities, a lot of other forces that are going into this. And, uh, and so they are, um, and so we, uh, we, we see this in the, the fall. We see this again uh, with, obviously, um, uh, Genesis 6, and uh, where these evil entities have actually manifest here physically on Earth. And uh, we looked at that last week. And if you have more questions about that, that was what we wanted for Jack. So uh, if you want to, uh, whenever he gets back, but um, whenever, uh, but then, uh, so we're going to look at today the last and kind of final piece uh, where, where God is going to decide after this, something is going to have to change. It, he, he can't rely on the world to continue to work in the way it was, he intended it to work initially. He's going to have to change this and find another way to be able to bring the nations all back together and bring the world into uh, the state of good or working properly, as, as we he talked about. So um, so we're going to read Genesis 11, at least the, uh, the first part of that. Uh, we start out there, and then we'll, we'll move on. So uh, this is Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They had said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the earth, uh, the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there uh, confuse the language, so that they may not understand one, one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, the, uh, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left, all building, uh, left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. So uh, basically, the, and it's kind of looking at your notes here, the, uh, you have three basic ideas here that, that comes out of this. First of all, the whole language of the earth had one language and the same words. People all came into one place to settle, and they began building things. They began putting things together. Now, one of the things that, uh, that Jack pointed out with on the notes, and I, thought this was, I also thought this was very interesting, is that in the first verse of chapter 11, it has... Uh, you have words and you have language. That seems to be very repetitive, or it, it seems to um, kind of repeat itself there, which is true to an extent. But it also, there's other translations that could go into that. For example, uh, language, that's the word they use there, is a good, that's a good translation for language. It, it does mean the ability to communicate, uh, communicate speech. Um, but on the other one, the, the, the term words there can also be translated as saying or commandment. So you could possibly translate this to say that the earth had one language and one in the same commandment. In other words, they all had one language and they also all knew what their one commandment was supposed to be, which was to fill the earth and to do it, to go out, to be mobile, to move around, to go out into the world and to subdue the world. That was what he had got it started with at the beginning and was still trying to uh, move forward with that. So, uh, basically, Genesis, the, the first verse here is kind of telling that what is happening here in the world, that 
the, the people, and it makes it very clear, he says it two or three times, the people were supposed to be going out and spreading around the world, and they weren't doing that. They were all, they came back together, they moved back into one place, and they were, uh, they were not following the commands. They were rebelling against God again in what they were supposed to be doing. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I know the Tower of Babel was always a, in, like a very interesting story, it seemed to be. It, was like, it, it seems to be an odd thing you would pull out and put in the scripture because it didn't seem to make a lot of sense as to why this was such a big deal. That they, so they came together and built a tower. I mean, I understand that they what they were trying to attempt, but just building a city and building a tower, why was that a big deal? Well, looking at it from this point of view, it was because it was a rebellion against God. They were not supposed to come together. They were not supposed to do this. They were supposed to be spreading out and moving out, and they weren't. They were specifically rebelling against God, not only in their attempts to build and to settle in one place, but also in trying to um, uh, do it for themselves. And, um, and so, uh, and again, this, uh, you can see this in uh, Genesis chapter 4 uh, with Cain. Uh, he does this uh, where he has already tried to settle down, uh, chapter 4 and verse 16. Um, did not have that marked, sorry. Uh, and so when Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So this was another example. Cain had already done this. We already know the story of Cain. We know what he does after all the events in his life, or like in the later events in his life, where they are, uh, he is completely ignoring what God has told him to do. And he is, uh, we know what came along with that. There was, with the line, the lineage of Cain that was rebellious, murder, settling down, creating things in his own image, creating things in his for himself in his own uh, way. And this was this was another example. Cain had already done this, and now the people are turning around and doing this again. And again, this is a blatant disobedience uh, as to what uh, as to what God has asked. So um, uh, we should also note that the uh, the the founder here, one of the notes that Jack put in there was that the founder of this of Babel, the, the group that comes in here, is from the descendants of Ham. And this was one that was cursed after the flood. So another example there, um, if you look back in Genesis 10, where it has the list of nations, uh, you will see that Ham, uh, one of the, the, the nations that are going to come for him are going to be Egypt, the Philistines, Nineveh, and then also the occupants of Canaan uh, are going to be the ones that are there. So this is a group that not only are they rebelling here, but they're also going to be a, a, a group that is continually at battle, at war, with God's plan and, and Israel later on um, throughout the Old Testament. Uh, these are um, some of the groups that are part of that. So, um, And so now, and as we kind of going in, tying back into what we've talked about, Jewish thought at this time, as we looked at last week, we looked at the weeks before, Jewish thought during this, with dealing with this, is this was not just people coming together, but there were other entities involved. There were spiritual beings involved in this. That they were, uh, that how did they learn how to do all of this stuff and why were they doing it? It was because from the fall to uh, the, uh, what we see in Genesis 6, and then to here, there were spiritual beings involved in this. And, uh, and so we can see this, um, and I, um, I don't think you have it in your notes, but um, uh, this talks about, there's uh, First Enoch, verse 69, and again, just if you, if you don't remember that, um, that, is, uh, that is a, um, 
uh, intertestamental testimonial testamental testamental uh, book that that was written uh, after the uh, in the the second after the second uh, or in the second temple period, where the Jewish people uh, were looking at um, the this idea and what all this meant. It focuses very heavily on. Genesis 6, after Genesis 11, and, uh, and all the things that were going on. Again, the, the point that Jack makes very clear in this, and that you guys need to also remember on this, is this is what the Jews believed in, in, this, uh, in this time period. And they believed that there were specific entities, they even named them, who brought specific things to uh, to the people. And again, first Enoch verse in chapter 69, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, but for example, um, well, let's see the, there's quite a few of them, uh, says, uh, the name of the first is Yequin. Uh, this is one who was, who led astray all the children of the holy angels. And he brought them down into the dry ground and led them astray to the daughters of men. Uh, he goes on to talk about that, uh, the, the name of the third is Gadriel. Uh, this is the one that showed all the deadly blows to the sons of men. He led astray Eve, and he showed the weapons of death to the children of men, and the shield and the breastplate and the sword for slaughter, and all the weapons of death uh, for the sons of men. So this was coming from a writing that the, the Jews had. They believed. Jude will quote this in the book of Jude, and not that specifically, but quote this book. And they talk about how it was these evil forces who would bring these abilities to learn how to craft things, how to build things. Yes? I was going to say on that, so they obviously did this before the flood, so <coughs> right? But then Jack also talks about that these things came back later on after the flood, because you see the death will begin, right? So, right. So these, these lessons must have been taught again to people, right? It, um, it, I would say, I mean, yes, but, um, to some I, extent. If you look at human history throughout all the world, all the different nations, I don't think that they got to every nation and taught them that because my my people did not have breastplates or shields right. or something like that. You know, it's as a as a student of history for myself, it is interesting to read this and also to um, hear. If you go back far enough in history and you start going into ancient civilizations and and things like that, one of the things you almost always come across is a, a nation that was really good at. And they and they're really good at something. They they were they seem to have a, a a very high level of skill in a specific thing. They don't know how to do anything else. That's why global trade comes into play. But they were really good at something. Something that was sometimes that was based on the location they lived in. Sometimes it was just something that they they naturally acquired a talent that no one else seemed to be able to do, and or at least didn't have a very good skill in. And so that's a just kind of an interesting piece in that. But yes. Um, I think the uh, a way to look at this might be the fact that there was not a single rebellion against God. There was they they continued um, the the whatever happened pre flood, something happened after the flood also, and continued this um, is a uh, is another way. In, in reference to Dale's comment too, in, in speaking of different Native American peoples, is I think your reference right? Yeah. Um, as which we haven't gotten to the disbursement yet, but as people dispersed, they would have had access to different resources. And depending on what resources they had access to may have impacted whether or not they developed metal breastplates and things like that if they didn't have access to the metals, you know, easy mining and things like that. Because we do see, obviously, Native American peoples, especially in Mexico and Central America, that had a lot of metal work. 
but then we see others that did not and it could have been impacted just by the area and resources and and not being able to further develop those skills through generations yeah. so. absolutely i've heard it said that uh that one was the first attempt of mankind for a one world order <laughs> I, 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 I would, when that was said, I thought, that's true, very true. Um, so, yes, absolutely, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Going back to the, the Jewish beliefs, that's not what really happened, that's just what they think happened? Uh, like okay, that's a loaded question. Um, so... That's part of what we're, we're talking about here um, as to whether this all really happens. Um, that's going to be depending on who you talk to. Me personally, I think that whether I don't think that we understand this all fully because I don't think we were given all of the things that we need to understand this. But do I believe that this is a pretty good shot in the dark? Absolutely. Um, Not necessarily in the dark. But well, a lot of history. Yes, it's a, it's a pretty good shot in what we can understand and how we can tie scripture together. Um, it's it's important to remember just that the that what the Jews believed doesn't necessarily make it wrong, and because if it doesn't, well, it doesn't match what I I thought I knew. That doesn't mean that they are wrong and we're right. It 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 means that the important thing is that this is what they believed, especially whenever you're looking at scripture. Um, and the fact that this is a very viable option as to what how things could have happened. Um, it provides the lens they were looking. It does. At. It does. It provides a lens <laughs> to what they were looking through. And in uh, one of the things that, and I've said this to, to people in the past, one of the things that I think it's important to remember is that the Bible is not was never meant to be a, a full history of everything that we ever could, we could ever know. It was meant to be. This is what we need to know. And there are definitely clues in this. This is why we're told to be a student of Scripture, to be a student of the Bible, to always be able to go back and look and to continue to try to decipher and try to understand who God is, what his plan was, and what he was doing. And, and part of that, looking at through their lens, is a, uh, is a good way to be able to do that. Um, did that answer your question? I'm sorry, I was a little murky. So... Um, so as we, as we move on, one of the things that's important to remember is something that we talked about a couple weeks ago was the fact that uh, you have these symbolic physical ideas, in this case mountains. And, uh, and so uh, God frequently meets with people on mountains. Uh, the uh, altars were often represented as mountains. Uh, we, we, can, we can all, uh, Jack talked about them, we can all uh, put examples in as to uh, places around the world that were considered to be mountains. And one of the ones that I added that I, that I talked about a little bit later that he didn't mention, which I thought was a really good example of the, because it was gardens, mountains, and um, I lost the third one. Um, rivers. No, that was the third one. <laughs> Say it again. Wilderness. Wilderness. There we go. Thank you. Um, so uh, one of the interesting um, concepts would be the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That was a it was a ziggurat that was it was designed to be a garden in and of itself. So it had it kind of had a, a, a you know both pieces in that. Uh, but you have Mount Olympus, you have the pyramids, the, the Temple of Heaven in China. These are all places and things that were meant to have that same idea. And whenever you start going around the world, there it's always been a, a long kind of standing, you know, oddity as to how many cultures around the world have 
that type of thing. Build something high, it's in a mountain shape of some type, and they how much they're connected. And so that was obviously a very important piece. Yes? So you think about Babel, we're going to build a tower to God, disperse everybody, they are still building towers to oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It still doing it. Yeah. It never didn't, stopped. Didn't change. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it never changed. And this is where we go back. So, in and again, we're looking at... Uh, and I think the connection there is that it's the, the people for sure, but it's what the people are being told um, is also part of that. Uh, again, if you go back in First Enoch verse in chapter six, it talks about the um, the the those who rebelled, however you want to call them. They're often called watchers um, or uh, and uh, angels. Uh, but it says uh, if you read through this in verse five and verse six, it says that then they all swore together and they all, and all bound one another with curse to it that they were in all 200, and they came down on uh, Artis, which is the summit of Mount Hermon, and they called the mountain Hermon because on it they swore and bound one another with curses. So even, again, through the Jewish viewpoint, that was even what the, those, the, the rebellious entities did. They came down on a mountain, and they did the same thing. And so they were, uh, the mountains were a very important piece of this. Um, the, the people here, it Babel, and it's also, and I wanted to kind of point this out too, um, the, this was a city. I, I think a lot of times, you know, if you have the, the old views of the, um, some of the old movies and stuff, we have this view of the Tower of Babel, was, there was nothing there. It was this huge, like, big open plain, and there was just a pyramid or like a, a ziggurat right in the middle of it, nothing else. That was not what was there. There was a city there. It specifically says there was a city there. And they built a tower on in the middle of this or somewhere in it. And, and the tower was meant to be like a mountain because that was where God always came down to see his people. That was the holy place. That was the place that meant this is where the gods are or where God is. And and so it's that was what they were doing. Um. It's also uh, another one, interesting side too. It also says, uh, whenever God says, let us go down uh, to this, and then he turns around right after that, and he sa- and it says, then the Lord dispersed them. So there is a plural there that we all come down, and then God is the one who actually disperses them. That's the exact same wording it is in Genesis 126, uh, the same idea there. So, um, so now we've kind of gone through what the the, the event that we know, uh, the Tower of Babel, and in uh, the dispersion there. Um, so, one of the things that a lot of times we we get hung up on is when we just read this. There is other scripture that also deals with the tower, and and so we we often don't look at that. So, if you want to, it's here. But if you want to flip over to it, uh, this is Deuteronomy thirty two. Is where we're gonna uh, we're gonna look at for just a second, and this also talks about the um, the, the same event, and uh, looking specifically in verse eight and verse nine, um, and it says, "When the Most High gave up the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion in is His people, Jacob, His allotted His allotted heritage." Um, that's from the ESV. Um, does anybody's chat of verse 8 at the end say sons of Israel and not sons of God? Does anybody's translation say that? Sons of Israel. Sons of Israel. So um, most of the newer, most translations don't say that. Most of them say sons of God. Uh, most of them do. A few of them say sons of Israel. Uh, if you, these are all, most of those are translations. 
Say it again. Yeah, he says sons of Israel. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, basically what that is, is that those, the versions I say sons of Israel used a uh, more uh, newer translations for that. If you go back and look at some of the original Septuagint and also the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls all say sons of God. Um, and so that, that is a, uh, and so newer ones. That was probably a, an attempt by translators, scribes and translators, to decipher what they couldn't understand. Uh, the problem with using sons of Israel there is that um, while using sons of Israel kind of takes the whole spiritual divine part out of it, uh, but it doesn't make any sense because Israel didn't exist whenever this was. This is obviously talking about Babel. Israel didn't exist at that point. Israel's not even mentioned in the list of nations the chapter before Tower of Babel. So that would not have been part of what they were talking about. It wouldn't have made any sense to the writers to say sons of Israel whenever it came to that. Um, so now this is uh, basically what is happening here. God is disinheriting the nations. He's basically saying, I have tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and you're not listening. I've asked you to do one thing. You're not doing that. You continue to rebel. You're continuing to rebel based on and, and fall into this trap of, uh, of the, what happened from the fall in Genesis 3 all the way up to this point. And so he decides to change direction as to what is his plan from a worldview into something more and a specific focus on a specific nation. And uh, this is very similar to, uh, if you read Romans 1 uh, and 18 to 25, but where God, it says God gave up uh, gave up in the lusts of their hearts. Uh, basically, he, he said, if you're going to go do this, go do it. I, I'm not, I can't stop you anymore. I can't try to do this anymore. And what he does is he disinherits the, all the nations, and he focuses on one. And he... As it says that, uh, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has a lot of heritage. He decides, I'm going to focus on one nation because, and I'm going to have to make sure that nation is what we need it to be in order to bring in salvation, which is the Messiah, right? And that's going to be Israel. And he um, noticed that on the borders, it says borders here. Um, it's not the same word, as Jack said, no, it's not the same word, but it does describe uh, the events of Babel. This is the, the people are divided, the borders of the people are divided up, um, and uh, that they are um, divided up according to the number of the sons of God. Uh, so uh, that, that's, a, that's a clue as to, uh, it, it kind of ties in the spiritual be beings and the physical being here. And uh, that's also a clue as to what God is going to do. He is going to take all these nations and say, I, I'm not going to focus on you anymore. I'm disinheriting you as my people. My people now, as we all know, are going to be Israel. That is the people of God. And he's going to disinherit the rest of them. But he doesn't leave them completely alone. He doesn't just say, go do your thing and I'm just going to completely ignore you. He puts other entities in to watch over them, to make sure that they are taken care of to an extent. And unfortunately, these entities are going to not follow their job. They're not going to do what they're supposed to do. Um, also, uh, just to very quickly, uh, Deuteronomy 4, 19 and 20 also kind of helps clarify uh, what is going on here. Um, and it, it, this is where, in Deuteronomy 4, it's where Israel is being reminded that all the priests of the earth, all of, uh, that all the hosts of heaven 
are uh, were allotted. And this is what it says. Uh, this is nine, uh, Deuteronomy 4, 19 and 20. And beware, uh, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that your Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Basically what he's saying is, is that I, if you be careful of who you're looking to. He starts off this with idolatry, looking at, look out for graven images, look out for the animals, look out for these things. And then also look out whenever you look up to the moon and the stars and the host of heaven. Those are things that have been given over to the other nations. That is, that, that's their stuff. I want you to focus on me, on the things that the Lord your God has allotted to, to, to me. This is who I am. You are my people. All those other nations, all their stuff, that is their stuff. You, you focusing on me. And that's, uh, that, again, that is uh, in Deuteronomy 4. So what happens then whenever God puts these other, uh, uh, the um, one, one uh, book that I read or one thing that I was reading uh, this week, I called her the lesser Elohim, um, the, the lesser gods. The, uh, so what, what happens to them? Some of them do their job. Some of them do not. Do not. Psalm eighty-two uh, is where you can see that. Um, it says, and "God takes his place in the, among the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked?" And and so we know that these this divine council that was supposed to watch over these nations do not do their job appropriately. They rebel also, and they rebel against what God has asked them to do. And, uh, and, and again, it all continues to fall apart because at this point now God is saying, I'm going to focus on Israel. I'm going to focus on what they are supposed to, what they're going to need to be in order to bring in salvation to re-inherit the nations. God is not giving up on the nations. He is having to focus on one nation because the worldview is not working and he's going to have to focus on one. And, the, uh, and so he's going to focus on one until he can bring in a Messiah that will then turn around and bring the nations back in. Okay, This is where you can kind of start thinking about Pentecost in Acts 2. Right? Because that's, where, that, that's what the, the end goal is. So you know, we, can, we can summarize uh, in this way. So, and I'm going to kind of read through a little bit of what Jack has here, and then I have some other kind of stuff that I want to throw in. But... Um, so God, God scattered the nations with their own devices. Uh, he moved to focus and guide a specific group uh, from Abraham, mainly because of his willingness to do what he was supposed to be doing. Go. Go and, and, and move and, and migrate and, and settle and, uh, and to, to do what the one thing that I have commanded, to fill the earth and subdue it. And uh, he is going to place beings to watch over the other nations, uh, but they do not fill his, fulfill his expectations. Um, they they fail. They and they succumb to their own powers. Um, they their own. They succumb to their own greed, uh, their own arrogance, and and so. But that that's basically what has happened. And this is going to become a battleground between. Because think about where, think about where these nations are. Right, most of them are in Canaan. All the right surrounding Canaan. The land that God is going to promise Abraham is going to be right in the middle of where all of them are. And so he is going to have to drive them out totally. Think about the commands that God gives the Israelites when they move into Canaan. What are they supposed to do? Get rid of everybody completely. 
Don't let anybody else stay here because this is not their land. My land is here, and this is where I am going to be, and this is where my focus is going to be. You need to get rid of anybody else, any of these other peoples, these other heavenly beings, anything like that. Get rid of all of them. Remove them wholeheartedly, completely. Thinking about it from that point also gives you an interesting view of David and Goliath. If you believe that Goliath was a uh, moving forward of the, the giants with the Nephilim and things like that, it makes an interesting point. He is making it, he is doing his part of destroying what was, what God had commanded them to do. So I'm going to follow up on what you just said about all that. Um, so I've been doing this, I was listening to this one guy and he was, um, talking about this stuff, and he said that um, there's a lot of atheists and a lot of people, who, you know, Satanists, they, they, they come at people, Christians say, well, how can your God be a God of righteousness when he's, he's killing all these people back in the day, he's having them, the, the Hebrews kill these people? Well, I think if you look back at all these, these nations that were destroyed, like Canaan and all this stuff, these, these weren't humans. These were like, he, he believes that these were like mixed with the angel blood, and that's, that explains why uh, God destroyed the earth before... Um, in the, in the flood, because only only Noah's line was untainted with the blood. Everybody else would have angel blood in them. It's, I think it is. In, I think that part of that is definitely true. Um, I think that there is definitely some um, tainted in that. Uh, but I don't believe. I don't think that Canaan was completely full of just tainted people, um, and that was who they were killing. I think they were definitely, these were definitely men. These were definitely people who made a choice. Um, and that's it. That's important. That's that's always the part that you have to go back and look at. And this was never just the, the, the hand of God sweeping nations away because these were all people who, through, through their history, had choices, and they made the wrong ones. They continually made the wrong choices. And, and it's, it's, it's important to keep that in mind um, whenever, you're, whenever you're having those uh, the discussions of that, um, that is a much larger conversation than, uh, than, um, than what we have time for today. So we will, we will continue that later, I promise. Um, so, uh, again, the, the hope here is that the Lord is going to inherit all the nations again. That this is all going to come back. And again, we said Acts 2. I, I did want to point out a couple of things that I thought were interesting. We were talking about the land of Canaan. Literally the physical land of Canaan. Think about a couple of uh, events there, and I, we don't have time to go through them specifically. But if you look, if you think about uh, David, whenever he and Saul are are having the, the conversation in First Samuel twenty six, um, where and, and David is talking about uh, that he he basically uh, Saul and David are talking about the fact that this is like, are you going to drive me out to the other gods that are out there? Are you going to drive me out of the land here that is Yahweh's? Are you going to drive me out to the other God's land? Uh, you also have uh, Naaman in 2 Kings. What does he ask to do whenever he's cleansed? Do you remember what he asked to do? What he wanted to take back with him? Dirt. He wanted to take back Canaan. He wanted to take back part of God's land to be able to take back there so that he could worship and he could do things on the land that was God's because that was an important piece, a physical idea for that. Um, you also have Daniel uh, chapter 10. Uh, which very specifically talks about uh, Michael going and fighting against the uh, the other princes, uh, which it calls Michael a prince. So that's obviously a, there's something um, other uh, there's something um, uh, entity other being a, a 
uh, other realm idea in that. And uh, so he, he was here talking now in a vision. Now he's got to go back and continue his fight against these other princes that are out there. Um, and this is all of this. These ideas, along with uh, Deuteronomy 32, <coughs> is going to be the foundation of Paul's teachings and, and his, um, his, his theology of the unseen world and what he talks about numerous times throughout the New Testament. So um, now I want you to think very quickly uh, about Acts 2. What are, are there any parallels that you can see in Acts 2 based on what we saw in Genesis 11? Is there anything that uh, you can think of at Acts 2? That's the, that's the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost for the apostles. It's just the languages. Yeah. Okay. So you have languages and now everybody can Now all hear. of a sudden you have, a, you have all the languages. Everyone can hear in their own language. Everything is being connected that way. And they're being gathered together. Uh, it specifically says there were Jews from every nation under heaven. The nations are being brought back. They're, being, they're coming back in. And this is going to be the, the, this is what it was going to take in order to, to, to make God's plan to be able to work is you're going to have to have the Messiah. You're going to have to have Christ. He's going to have to die. He's going to have to be resurrected. And then at Pentecost, this is now going to start bringing the nations back in. Now, all of us who were Gentiles, who are Gentiles in that, that sense, now have the ability to come back. No, but the, uh, and this is an important thing. So I want to summarize a little bit because I wanted to do this summary before Jack's class next week, which is going to be about Abraham um, and moving on to that. Um, so again, just a very quick summary. God's plan at Eden is going to end almost immediately, almost as soon as it starts. Uh, he, he starts this plan. It was good. It was perfect. It was what it needed to be. And then it all starts to end almost immediately. You have the, the serpent or, or this entity that comes down and it inserts himself into the role of God's mouthpiece and basically says, this is, I know what God is trying to do and, and, and basically brings sin into this perfect place. And in a sense, Adam and Eve, when they are forced out of the garden, are, t- are going with them. The, the evil entities are basically bringing Adam and Eve with them, and because now they're being barred from the presence of God and the presence of the tree of life. So now, the only way that anyone is going to be able to be back in the presence of God and the tree of life is going to be through God's grace and mercy. It's the only way it's going to be able to happen. Without this, humanity, people, are now the property of death. They're the property of the, these evil entities that are, that are there, and the only way they're going to be able to come back is through God's grace and mercy. Um, evil forces failed in their attempt to destroy humanity in this attempt at the fall, but they, because God forgave them, God forgave Adam and Eve, and he continued his, his world plan, and he, he, Adam and Eve now have the, the, the duty to, uh, to bear children uh, so that they can fill the earth and subdue it. And this is going to be able to keep God's intent, initial um, um, plan alive. Uh, the uh, God is going to rule the earth, and uh, the, would eventually would rule. It's going to rule and come back to Him. And, uh, and it, but this is going to be on His time and His methods. And so, all of the attempts by humans or by any other entities to be able to do anything to try to either precipitate that plan or have their own plan are always going to be met with destruction. Are never going to work. And, but now the good news, as we know today, is going to have to be a choice. 
People made a choice. They made their choices back then. They're still making their choices today. People are going to have to choose. From this point forward, dwelling forever as a member of God's family council requires choosing loyalty to him above any other divine voice, no matter what it is. This, this war is still happening. The war is over us now. The grounds are, the, the, the borders have been shattered at Pentecost, and there's no more borders of nations. God is now wanting everyone, but the war is still going on. These entities are still fighting, and they're still fighting for us. They're fighting for the, these, the, the, the people, the humanity that God created so that he can bring all this back into Eden, into a perfect idea, a, a good idea, which is working the way it's supposed to. There are transgressions before the flood, there are transgressions after the flood, but all of this is setting the stage for everything we know in the Old Testament. From, from Genesis chapter 12 on, this is now going to be the stage. This is, this is what it looked like before. Um, and, and so, uh, and as we move into Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, Israel, this is Yahweh's portion. This is his piece that he is going to focus on specifically because he knows he has to make sure it cannot fail. The other entities have failed. They continue to fail. These other heavenly beings, these other the people, the humankind, they continue to fail. If he wants to save his creation, he has to make sure that it will not fail. So he focuses on Israel, and he makes sure that it will not fail. Um, the, he, he casts off these other nations. He assigns uh, other people to other entities to watch over them. They continue to to make matters worse, and uh, they in order to try, they are occupying the very ground that Israel is going to have to occupy. And um, but in order for this to happen, in order for this to to be able to move forward, Israel is going to have to take root. They're going to have to have a beginning. And the way this beginning is going to take place, the way this is going to happen, is with a meeting. God is going to have to have a meeting with Abraham himself and say, "This is what I'm doing." This is my new covenant. This is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to look like. And that's why you have that drastic change from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12. It goes from Genesis 11. Everything is just about the world. And then in Genesis 12, everything focus, hyper-focuses into Abraham himself. And that's where we move forward from that. So I appreciate your time. Um, and I, I hope that I didn't muddy everything up too terribly bad. Um, if you did, uh, that's Jack can now fix that next week. So, um, uh, but uh, let's uh, let's end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. We thank you for uh, the uh, the plan that you have created for this for your creation. We thank you for the continued faith in us, the continued resilience of your of. Everything that you have done for us, that uh, allowing us to uh, to find your grace and find your mercy, and to be able to uh, be with you in this creation, in this perfect uh, place that is is in your presence, Lord, we ask that you continue to be with us as we go through this class, we go through the other classes this year, that we can always be able to continue our studies, to do things that help us to be able to understand uh, the the world and understand your creation and then and your work in this world. Help us to be able to be a part of that, to bring more souls to you. Lord, we ask you to be with us throughout this day. Uh, be with those who are, are sick, those who are hurting. Uh, help them to uh, recover. Help them to, to have peace and comfort. See your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.